Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of CityWalk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with CityWalk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search CityWalk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Good to see you guys. Good to see those of you that are online. Actually, we can't see you, but we know you're there too. Uh, Hope you're having an awesome day uh, as well. Uh, Today, uh, one of the things that before we dive into part whatever, nine of Nehemiah, I think is what we're on. Uh, I wanted to make a quick announcement. Uh, today is the day, if you're new to City Walk, or if you are maybe somebody that's been coming a while, but you're like, oh, I just haven't gotten connected yet. I'd like to get connected. Uh, we, once a month, we do a thing called Intro to City Walk. Uh, and it's a, about 30 to 40 minutes in the fellowship hall right after church, actually about 10 or 15 minutes after church. And so we have a time where we share a little bit more about the history of the church. We give you a chance to ask any questions you want, uh, to kind of talk to you about the different ways you can get connected. And so if you're somebody that's like, hey, I, I'm ready to take a step. I'd like to take a step to get connected. I'd like to find out a little bit more about the church. Uh, Intro to City Walk is a really, really good first step. And so I want to encourage you, if you have a couple minutes after church, uh, we'll start uh, about 10 or 15 minutes after the service. So uh, so that's today. So this past week, actually, I think two weeks ago, uh, we were sitting in our small group and uh, we were having a discussion and maybe you uh, have thought of this some yourself, uh, but we were having this discussion about some of the sayings that our parents used to use that uh, just they, they used to use that we just remembered from growing up. And we were kind of having a laugh about it. Uh, and you, you probably, as you think about your parents, whether you are, you know, in your teens, whether you're a young adult, old adult, whatever, you probably remember some things that your parents said, and they were just sayings that your dad was known for. They were sayings that your mom was known for, and they just they were things that you just remember. For for some, th- these are some of the ones that we uh, said. One person in our group said this that uh, their parents said, hey, stop crying before I give you something to cry about. So maybe your, par- your parents were like that. They weren't like stand-in-the-corner parents. They were like spank parents like my parents were. Uh, an- another person said it this way. They said that their-, their parents said, hey, children are to be seen, not heard. Maybe your parents said that. And then this is the one that I never believed as a kid. This hurts me more than it hurts you. It's like, give me the paddle and you bend over and let's, let's see, mom and dad. Let's see if that's true. Uh, another one, man, I've said this one. Money doesn't grow on trees. I've said that to my kids. Like, uh, you can go in our backyard. There's no money tree. So, so the answer is no to what you want. Uh, and, th- and this is one that your parents probably said uh, or may, may have said or at least thought. When you have kids, I hope they're just like you. And then, according to how bad you were as a kid, there may have been a few sayings that we can't repeat in church that your parents said as well uh, to you that you remember that stood out. And and here's the funny thing. 
The funny thing is some of those sayings that they may have even annoyed you as a kid or they stood out to you, you kind of even made fun of under your breath sometimes. Some of those sayings, as you get older, you find yourself saying some of those same things. You, you find yourself being a little bit like your dad or saying things similar to how your mom said it. Uh, my dad, who he lives in Alabama, my parents live in Alabama, he has some classic funny phrases that he uses. And what will happen is once in a while, I'll say something or I'll, I'll say, hey, let's, let's watch a, you know, the 20th Hallmark Christmas movie. I'll do something or say something. And one of my kids will say, hey, you sound just like Pop Pop. And because I'm, I'm saying things or doing things that are similar to how he did it. And for me, man, I take that as a compliment. That's, I hope I'm like my dad someday. But, but, and maybe you would have that story. Maybe you would say, you know what? If I'm like my dad someday, that's not going to be a good thing. But here's the thing, whether we like it or not, whether you had an incredible example of a parent or whether you try to forget a lot of the things that kind of influenced you as a, as a kid because of your parents, the bottom line is our parents and those that kind of go ahead of us, those that, are, whether it's our parents or our guardians, man, they have an impact on us. And like I said, for some of us, that's positive. And, and you're like, man, yeah, I'm thankful for the impact they had. And it's really positive. For others, maybe you're sitting there and you'd say, you know what? That's not quite my story. You know what, Chris? I, I love my parents and I'm thankful for them, but I don't want to be like them. And actually, they caused me a lot of hurt in some different areas. And here's the thing, and you know this, whether you had you know, great people that impacted you, people that you want to be like, or whether you'd say, you know what, I, Chris, I just didn't have that as a kid. The people that impacted me, the, the grandpa, the, the mom, the dad, it just wasn't that kind of story. It doesn't matter what, which side you had. Here's what we, none of us expected those people to be perfect. We're all like that. Whether we had great parents, whether we had great people impacting us, or whether we're like, man, I try to forget everything that I was taught as a kid. None of us expected our parents, our caregivers, our grandpa, our grandma, our uncle, our aunt, none of us expected them to be perfect. We, we all know that everyone fails. In fact, Paul said it this way, and he was writing a little letter to some people in Rome. He said it this way. He said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody. The best parent the best grandpa, the worst parent, their worst grandpa. Everybody fails. Everybody sins. That's just part of life until we meet Jesus. It's, there's still sin. There's still flesh. And so none of us expected the people that impacted us to have it totally all together and to be perfect. But here's the, here's the thing. What impacted us and what, how we're impacting our kids and those that we influence is not whether we fail because we all fail, we all sin, but the question is, what do we do when we fail? How do we react and what do we do when we sin? When we do things that, man, don't please God, what do we do? And for some of you... You had some people in your life that, man, they made some 
maybe big mistakes, they sinned, they did some things, but they handled those things well, they took care of those things, and you saw some growth, and that impacted you, but then there's others of you that say, you know what, man, I had some people in my life that, man, they did some terrible things, and they never dealt with it, and the fact that they never dealt with it the right way has still, is still impacting our family. And so the question isn't whether or not we will sin or will disobey God. The question is, what will we do with that sin? And the answer to that question will impact our life, our family, and very possibly generations to come. We see this a lot in Scripture. In fact, in the book of Nehemiah where we're at, we see this very thing play out. We see this very thing of, of the impact of generations before, hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, the impact of those people's decisions, how they handled their own decisions, how they handled their own sin, how they handled their own failures, and, and the fact that they didn't handle those well has now impacted people in their family hundreds of years later. We see that in the book of Nehemiah. If you're new to our church, you can, you can go watch the, or listen to the podcast or go to YouTube. You can kind of catch up with us. But bottom line, Nehemiah is a book about a guy named Nehemiah. Shocker. You're like, wow, super creative Bible writers. Yeah, book about, it's a book about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a guy that, that he had a kind of a mission that God called him to. And that mission was he was to go to Jerusalem and he was to help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He was to help bring hope. He was to help bring healing. He was help to help bring safety to the people of Jerusalem. And so he did that. He, he went to Jerusalem. He gathered a team. It wasn't easy. There was a ton of obstacles in their way, but he led the people of Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of their city in about 52 days. And we've talked a lot about that over the last few weeks. After those 52 days, and this is what we talked about last week, when the people got done with this wall, they took some time to kind of spiritually reset. They took some time to kind of start fresh and to start new. And, and what they did is they began to have the scriptures read to them. So the walls are done and and they asked Ezra, kind of the, the pastor, the scribe of the area, they said, hey, would you read the scriptures to us? And so that's what he did. And they listened and they began to understand the scriptures. They began to obey the scriptures. And now it's about three weeks later. About three weeks after they have begun to read the scriptures. After they have begun to kind of have a spiritual reset. And Nehemiah picks up the story in Nehemiah chapter 9. About three weeks after that spiritual reset has started. It says this. You can follow along on the screen or in the app. It says, on the 24th day of this month, so just over about three weeks, just over three weeks, it says, the Israelites assembled. They were fasting. They were wearing sackcloth and had put dust on their heads. So the, the nation of Israel, they've rebuilt the wall. They've now taken some time to begin to spiritually reset. They're, they're having the scriptures read. They're worshiping. They're listening intently to what the scriptures say. And now about three weeks into this thing, it says that, man, they are mourning. 
They're, they're wearing sackcloth, which is kind of in our day when we mourn, we wear maybe all black. And when you see somebody at a, at a funeral at all black, it's like, man, that's a kind of a picture of their mourning. Well, in this society, if you were to wear sackcloth and you were to put ashes on your head, it was an outward sign that you were mourning. And so the people of Israel, about three and a half weeks after they've rebuilt the wall, they're beginning a, a time of mourning. And it says this in verse 2, those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners and they stood and they confessed their sins and their iniquities of their ancestors. So they, they get together and after the scriptures are being read, they've, they've kind of entered this time of mourning. And it says they confessed their sins and the iniquities or the sins of their ancestors. So that word confess, it just means to admit or acknowledge. And so they're taking time to think through and admit and acknowledge the things that they've done that have been against God's plan, but they're also going to go all the way back to some of their ancestors, and they're going to kind of rehearse and confess and admit where even their ancestors have failed have sinned. And it says, while they stood in their places, they read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for, for a fourth of the day, and spent another fourth of the day in confession and worship of the Lord, their God. So they take about three hours. You're like, what is up with these people wanting to read the Bible for so long? Like last week, it was like five hours of reading it, six hours. Now this week, it's like they're doing three hours of reading, so they, they spend about three hours, and, and the scriptures are read. And then they spend, it says, like three more hours in confession, where they're confessing, they're acknowledging sin, they're, they're, they're admitting things that they've done wrong. And then what happens is kind of the spiritual leaders, they're called the Levites, what they do is kind of they, they ask the people to stand and they, they lead them in a prayer that's the longest prayer in the whole Bible. You're like, Chris, dude, we lost an hour of sleep last night. Don't be doing the longest prayer in the whole Bible today, bro. What's, what's up? We ain't going to read the whole thing. But, but the, it's the longest prayer in the whole Bible. And so the, the spiritual leaders say, okay, let's get up and, and we're going we're gonna to walk through this. We're going to pray this. And this prayer is like a, a prayer that lays out the history of their nation and where their nation has failed. And so the prayer starts in, in verse 6. It says, you, Lord, are the only God. You created the heavens, the highest heavens with all their stars, the earth and all that is on it. The seas and all that is in them, you give life to all them, and all the stars of heaven worship you. And so they, they start this prayer, and, and there's some things we can learn from this, but they, they start their prayer by just acknowledging who God is, acknowledging that God is creator, acknowledging that God is unique and worthy to be worshiped. Even the creation worships God. And so they start, they don't start their prayer by asking God for things. They don't kind of hand a list off to God. They, they start their prayer by acknowledging who God is and that he is worthy to be worshipped. And then what they do is they, after they acknowledge God, they begin to walk through part of their history as a nation. And whether you grew up in church or not, 
these are some things that even that you've learned. That, that there's a guy by the name of Abraham they talk about, a guy by the name of Moses. And they begin to walk through a little bit of the history of their nation. It says this in verse 7. You, the Lord, are the God who chose Abram and brought him out of the Ur of the Chaldeans and changed his name to Abraham. You found his heart faithful in your sight, and you made a covenant or a promise with him to give him the land of the Canaanites, the Hethites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites. It's like, man, can somebody get an easier name in the Bible? The Girgashites. Bottom line, they got a lot of land promised to them from a lot of nations. And so the Bible, or this prayer starts by, they're talking about Abraham, and he's kind of like, for them, he's like the Michael Jordan of the Jewish people. He's like the guy they look up to. He's their all-star. He's the guy that, man, they have his poster on the wall. Like, he's their guy. And so they, they talk about how God came to Abraham one day and said, hey, Abraham, you are going to be a, a nation, a huge nation, and I'm going to give you a land that you didn't earn, that you don't deserve. You're not going to have to do anything for it. I'm going to hand it over to you and to your ancestors. And, and they end this part about Abraham, and they say, you have fulfilled your promise. You are righteous. God, you said this. And now we look back hundreds of years, and you did exactly what you said you were going to do for Abraham. We're literally in the land, God, that you promised Abraham a long time ago. You obey. You you did what you said, God. And then what they do in their prayer is after they talk about Abraham and kind of his story, they skip ahead a few hundred years, and they talk about Moses and the Egyptians and a little bit of their story. And here's what they say. It says, verse 9, hundreds of years have passed since Abraham. And it says, you saw the oppressions of our, the oppression of our ancestors in Egypt. And you heard their cry at the Red Sea. You performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, all his officials, and all the people of his land, for you knew how arrogantly they treated our ancestors. You made a name for yourself that endures to this day. And so they, they, they're praying, and they're, they're talking about Abraham, but now they, they say, God, you're the one that hundreds of years after Abraham, when our nation was, man, hundreds of thousands of people, you, you kept your promise. We were a huge nation. But we were a nation that was enslaved to the Egyptians. And God, you, you stepped in. You, you stepped into our slavery. You sl- stepped into our oppression. That Pharaoh was arrogant. He didn't want to let us go. But God, you, I mean, you laid the smack down on Pharaoh. And, and you sent plagues. And, and you made his life miserable till he was ready to say, yes, the, the people can go. They're no longer slaves. And they rehearse this as they're praying. They rehearse how God stepped in while they were enslaved and he allowed them to go free and how he moved in Pharaoh's heart, how he brought about plagues and how God did incredible works for their nation. And and then what what they do is they, they talk about, man, when we got out of that nation, man, what was that must have been like? Think about it. If you were enslaved for hundreds of years, 
And God, after hundreds of years, he, man, he moves in incredible ways that you get to watch. And now the day comes that, man, you are totally free. And, and this is what happened to the ancestors of these people that are praying. And after they left Egypt, and they, and they go on to talk about this in their prayer, they, they leave Egypt, and they're finally free. But as they're a couple days into their journey to this promised land that God's promised from slavery, they come up against the Red Sea. And this is where, man, like God takes it to another level. Like he, he did some crazy stuff in Egypt and he helped them get free by sending plagues. But now, man, he does some crazy stuff with this Red Sea. They're, they have the Red Sea in front of them. They have the, an Egyptian army because Pharaoh's changed his mind coming after them. And so they talk about what God did. It says this in verse 11. God, you, you divided the sea before them and they crossed through it on dry ground. You hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into raging water. God, we, we remember our, our ancestors telling us about when they were standing in front of that Red Sea and they were afraid because the Egyptians were behind them. And God, you parted the Red Sea. And our ancestors walked through the middle of the Red Sea, not on muddy ground, but on dry ground. And then once they got through, the Egyptians tried to follow God, and you weren't having that. You, you brought that water onto them, and you destroyed the Egyptian army. It goes on in verse 13, and he says, God, it says, or verse 12, and you led them with a pillar of cloud by day, with a pillar of fire by night to illuminate the way they should go. God, not only did you do these incredible miracles and you rescued them from slavery, you parted the Red Sea, but on their way to the promised land, God, you didn't leave them hanging. You led them with clouds where they could follow during the day. And you led them with fire at night so that they could see where they're supposed to go. God, you never left our ancestors hanging. You took care of them. You kept your promise. And then verse 13 says, Man, and you gave them impartial ordinances, reliable instructions, and good statutes and commands. God, not only did you do all that, but you provided good instruction for them. You gave them laws. They didn't even know how to have a nation. And you helped them set up laws. And you gave them special, gracious instructions that would help them see your best in their life. God, you did all this for our ancestors. And, and, and verse 15, you didn't leave them hungry either, God. You, you actually you provided for that too. You provided bread from heaven for their hunger. You brought them water from the rock for their thirst. You told them to go in and possess the land you had sworn to give them. God, you, you showed up. God, as we pray and we think of our ancestors, you showed up and you were faithful all the way through. You chose our ancestors. You rescued our ancestors from slavery. You protected them and provided for them in the wilderness. God, you gave them clear instructions to help them walk in, in good and healthy ways. You kept your promise, God. You gave them the land. So how did they respond? Well, they go on in their prayer. After they've just rehearsed how good God is, 
And how God has just showed up every step of the way and he's kept his promise. Then they talk about the response. Verse 16. But our ancestors, they acted arrogantly. They became stiff-necked and did not listen to your commands. This this word of stiff-necked, it's kind of like a stubborn animal that refuses to obey. Have you ever, and we've had this experience, has your dog ever gotten out? A few times? If you, if you, if you have, you've, and you've maybe experienced this, you know what I'm saying. Your dog gets out, which is, you're not trying to have your dog get hit by a car, so you're already a little nervous, but your dog gets out, and, and then any other time, you'd call them and they'd come. Well, yeah, they would come, like if you were in the house. But because they're outside, they don't know what to do with themselves. They're out in the front yard now. They're, they're not even sure what to do. And so they, you, you call them and they don't come. And then here's what's super annoying because it shows their stubbornness. You, you start to walk up next to them and just about the time you're right next to them, they dart off and go another direction. And then you you, you know, under your breath, you say some really mean things about your dog, but you're trying to not get too upset because you don't want him to run again. So you, and you watch, and you, if you've had to do this and you're like, I'm trying to save your life, I'm trying to help you. So I don't have to clean you up, you know, from under a tire. And, and every time you get close to him, like, okay, maybe, and you jump, they're off again. And, and it's that, whether it's a dog or another animal, man, that idea of a stubborn and just like, I'm just going to do this to annoy you. And I'm not, I know what you're saying, but I'm not going to do what you say. This is kind of what Israel was like. God had provided for them. He had given them clear instructions all along the way. He had been like over the top in his provisions and in his grace and their response Stubborn animals, stiff-necked. It says this in verse 17. They refused to listen, and they did not remember your wonders you performed among them. They lost perspective. They, they forgot how you had showed up over and over again for us. It says they became stiff-necked. And they appointed a leader to return their slavery in Egypt. So not only were they just stubborn, but they literally, right in your face, God, they actually tried to choose a leader that would take them back to Egypt to slavery. And so, I mean, if you're God, I mean, think about this. If you're God, for hundreds of years, you have provided and you have met their needs. And when they have messed up, you have shown grace and you've just rescued them. I mean, you're doing all this crazy stuff. And, and, and in the midst of this, they're stubborn and they basically say, no, thanks, God. We're actually going to try to go back to slavery. I mean, would you just squash them out? I, I probably would. I probably would be one. I mean, I, I would be like in my mind, I'm like, God, how would you, how are you okay? I mean, how did you not just like, we'll start over. These people are jerks. I, I'm done with these people. I mean, God was, man, we, we God was so gracious. Cause, and here's what it says. Instead of like, you know what? I could smash them and just tell the Holy Spirit they died. Like we just get rid of them right now. Here's what it says. But you are a forgiving God, gracious, compassionate, 
slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love, and you did not abandon them. So how did they respond? They decided to build a golden calf. And they, they decided to build a calf and begin to worship that golden calf and, and pretend that that golden calf had been the God that had done all this for them. Again, would you just like, okay, I gave you a couple chances, but that's it. This golden calf thing, that's, that's like over the top. And, and here's what it says. You sent your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. While they are doing this to you, God, every day they walked out of their tent or their house, and you provided manna for them. When they were thirsty, because they had been blaspheming your name with their mouths, and they were thirsty, you provided water from a rock. Like, think about it. If you were God... And if I was God, would you at least to like, dude, we're going to hold out on the manna a couple days. Like, like you guys are being jerks. And so let, let's see how you like it when no food shows up for a few days. I think for me, I would have at least been like, man, we're going to hold out a little bit. Oh, you're getting a little thirsty. Oh, well, I'm sorry. We're going to hold out on the, but not God. He just continued to provide. He continued to give to them and he continued to show them grace. And as Nehemiah and these people, they're praying, and they're, as they pray, they're, they're rehearsing in their prayer how good God was, how gracious he was, even when their ancestors sinned, and instead of taking care of their sin, they continued to go away from God. And it says this, verse 21, this is kind of crazy. It says, you provided for them in the wilderness 40 years. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. So think about it. Think about it. Like what is the oldest sweatshirt, t-shirt in your closet? Yeah, you probably got a few. Like, oh, yeah, I remember about seven years ago, I got that sweatshirt there. I got this thing there. But, but you don't wear it much because it's got holes in it. It's, it might be the thing you, like, sleep at night. You, you grab that thing. But, but it's, you know, it had its day, and you still have it because there's a, maybe a sentimental value, or you remember the event you were at that you used that. But, man, the thing's kind of beat up, and you're not wearing it anymore. Those shoes... Man, they were great for, you know, a year. Maybe, man, maybe you pushed it to a year and a half, two years. But man, the soles started to wear out. And it's like, you know what? We got rid of those. And those are the, the lawn mowing shoes now. Well, God says this. You know what? That outfit you got on, we're just going to make that last and, and stay good for 40 years. You, those shoes? Yeah, all that walking you're going to do in the desert? Man, we're going to, you're not even going to, like your feet are never going to swell up. I'm going to take care of you throughout this whole process. Like, like I'm going to, I don't know if like the style, hopefully the style has changed within 40 years, but maybe God's like, no, I'm not, it's still going to be in style in 40 years. It's still going to look good. It's still going to be cool. But for 40 years, and this is, God's doing all this for them. And they are, as they pray, they're just rehearsing and remembering how God continued to take care of their families and their generations. Verse 23, you multiplied their descendants like the stars of the sky. You brought them to the land you told their ancestor to go in and possess. So God, you did everything. It went from Abraham and Sarah 
The people that you told were going to be the mother and father of a whole nation. They didn't even have their first kid till Abraham was a hundred. And God, you, you kept your promise. And that one kid became millions of people. And you, you, the, the land you promised to give them, God, you, you handed over that land. As they are all along the way, they're, they're going against you. All along the way, they're, they're disobeying the instructions you gave them. They're, they're doing all this stuff. And yet, God, you continue to be faithful through it all. Verse 26, and as you were faithful through it all, they were disobedient. They rebelled against you. They, and this, I mean, I, this is like a strong way to say this. They flung your law behind their backs and they killed your prophets who warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed terrible blasphemes. God, our, our ancestors... You were so good to them. And they literally took, they didn't even try to pretend they were following you. They weren't even trying to put on a Sunday morning face. They literally took your words and they threw them away. The people that you sent to them to encourage them and to teach them truth, God, they killed those people. They, they killed them. They were disobedient to you. And this cycle of sin and arrogance played out over and over again for centuries. And it led to where the nation that is praying in the city with the wall that's just been rebuilt, it led to where these people are today. And it says this in verse 36 as they talk about where they are today because of the sin of the past it says this here we are today we're slaves yeah we're, we're in the land you gave our ancestors like yeah we're here but we're not free so that they could enjoy its fruit and its goodness Lord you gave us this land to enjoy but we're slaves we're slaves we're slaves in it its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and our livestock as they please. We are in great distress. And here's the thing. As tragic as this story is, as they have just literally, I mean, you can see why it took three hours. Because, I mean, they're literally walking through the history and they're, they're not trying to like make it look better than it really is. They're, they're walking through the history of their nation. And they are just acknowledging to God, God, this is where we were wrong. This is where our ancestors disobeyed you. God, you were so gracious. You were so faithful. We were disobedient. And they're just acknowledging. They're confessing. And as, as tragic as the story of the Jewish nation is, here's what I promise. Nobody was sitting around a table hundreds of years earlier. It's not like the Jewish people got together hundreds of years earlier and, and said, you know what? You know what? How can we destroy the lives of our kids? How can we destroy the lives of future generations? Let's put a plan together to make their life miserable. 
No, nobody sat, nobody sat in a room hundreds of years earlier and said, hey, what do we got to do to just make their life awful and to really affect generation after generation after generation in a bad way? What do we have to do to do that? They didn't do that. They, they didn't say, you know what? Oh, I got a good plan. Here, here's what we're going to do. Let's, let's disobey God. And, and then instead of confessing and turning from our sin, let's give God the finger and push our our, our children into slavery. Let's do that. That's, how, that's our plan. Let's run with that one. No, they didn't do that. They, they didn't want this. They, they wouldn't, hundreds of years later, look back. I mean, they would, of course they wouldn't want to do that if they saw how it affected. But yet that's exactly what they did. That's exactly what happened. Because of the sin of generations before them and their lack of acknowledging it and forsaking it. Now these people are praying, crying out to God, and they're crying out to God in distress and slavery. And before we get too upset at them, I mean, honestly, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, man, it'd be pretty easy for us to end up doing the same thing. I mean, it's easy to look back at Scripture and the mistakes of different people and, and you know, point and they shouldn't have done this or, you know, we would have done it this way. But at the end of the day, it's, if we're not careful, we will find ourselves doing exactly what they did. See, when I hide my sin instead of confessing it and forsaking it, when I try to manage my disobedience instead of getting rid of it, I'm obviously hurting myself, I'm hurting my family, and I'm actually hurting generations ahead of me. It's, it's, it's just what happens. Some of you in this room, some of you watching online, your life is affected today because of a decision somebody made that you never even met. They were gone before you were born or before you can remember them. But because of a decision they made, because of a, a, a sin that they didn't take care of, because of some bad decisions that they made, your life and people in your family have been affected by people you don't even know. It's just part of it. And, and here's, here's what I know. I, I don't have to know you well. I don't have to know you well. Though if you're watching online, I don't have to know you well to know that you don't want that. You don't have to know me well to know, you know what? Chris doesn't want that for his family, for future generations. He doesn't want that. In fact, for me, there isn't much worse. There's not, there's, there's not much that would be more tragic than if my lack of taking care of sin in my own life had like terrible effects on my kids and on their kids and their kids. That would be tragic. I can't think of much that would be worse. And I would guess that you would say the same thing. And I don't, I don't want my grandkids and great-grandkids affected because of my sin. And not just my sin, but how I handled my sin. Neither do you. Neither do you. And so for that not to happen, I and we have to be willing to do exactly what the people in Nehemiah chapter 9 did. The first thing they did, and, and you read it, as, as you kind of read their prayer, you see this theme. The first thing that they did is they acknowledged who God is. 
not, not, not their version of God, that not the, the God that they want God, the way they want God to be, not, not a version of God that, that they made up, but, but they acknowledged who God is, the God of the scriptures. And, and as they talked about God, and you saw it at the beginning of their prayer, they talked about how God was good, how he was a creator, how he was worthy of worship. Today, it's, man, there's versions of God everywhere. And, and everybody has their own little version of who God is. And if we're going to be people that impact generations to come in a way that is helpful and in a way that we would want to we got to be able to and willing to really acknowledge who God who the God of the scriptures really is and what he's really about and what his character is not a version of God that better fits into my lifestyle acknowledge who God is the second thing that they did was they, and it's so simple, it's what we need to do, that we have to acknowledge what God said. See, see, God loves and wants what's best for us. And you heard it in their prayer how that God had clearly and lovingly given them direction. He, he had given them clear direction, given them clear laws, given them clear kind of pathways to his best. And they acknowledged that they did not obey that. They didn't go that way. And so if we're going to be people that, that affect the next generation, and man, they're not telling stories about us after we're gone. They don't have to lie at our funeral. If we're going to be that type of person, we've got to be someone who acknowledges who God is, but not just that, but really acknowledges what he says, whether our culture agrees with it or not. Just who is God and what did he say? And usually if we're honest and we're all, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you read through the scriptures and there's certain parts of it that you're like, oh, I like that. That is good. Oh, that's encouraging. Oh, that's helpful. But then there's other portions of scripture kind of according to what you're going through in your life that you might be like, eh, I wouldn't mind if that wasn't in the Bible. Wish Paul wouldn't have written that one. You know, there's, there's just certain things. Oh, I, I, let, me, let me rephrase that for you, God. Is there a different translation that I can get to say it a little nicer? And, and sometimes we don't like, oh, well, our culture doesn't agree with that. And so I'm going to bend that scripture and kind of bend what you said, God, to kind of fit our culture. And that's like the fast track to screwing up the rest of your family for generations. So we have to acknowledge who God is. We got to acknowledge what he said. And you don't even have to agree with what he said, but at least, at least give him the benefit of the doubt. This is what he really said. You don't have to buy into it. He's not going to twist your arm, but don't. And I'm talking to myself too. Don't make him say something he didn't really say. And don't take away something that he really did say and insert what fits better in culture. Because that's a really quick road to messing up people in the future when we start twisting what God said. And so we have to acknowledge who he is. We have to acknowledge what he has said, just like the people of Nehemiah's day did. And then the last thing, 
We have to acknowledge and turn from my sin, from your sin. We have to acknowledge and turn from sin. What I did wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a whoops. It was a sin. Sometimes we try to make our sin sound better. We try to manage it. We have this part of our life that uh, we, we try to manage it. We try to manipulate it. Instead of just calling it what it is, we try to manage our sin. Instead of saying, I acknowledge what this really is, and I am going to turn away from it. I'm going to repent of it. I'm going to confess, acknowledge, and turn from it. I'm not going to let it stay into my life and just try to manage its effects. See, when I lust and look at porn, it's sin. When I talk behind someone's back, it's sin. When I treat my spouse disrespectfully, it's sin. When I'm greedy and make comfort my God, it is sin. When I am too proud to admit my failures, it is sin. The question isn't, will I or will you sin? The question is, will I allow pride or humility to dictate my response to sin? James, Jesus' brother, he said it this way. He said, God resists the proud. He actively fights against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And here's, here's what, what's happened to a lot of us. Shame is a tool that the enemy uses to stop us from experiencing God's grace. It's happened to all of us. Instead of acknowledging our sin and turning from it, we allow the evil one to make us feel shameful about it. And God's like, you know what? You know that shame? It's not coming from me. I'm, I'm actually waiting here with grace to pour on you. I, I have the answer to that. The, the thing that you're struggling with, I actually have the answer to that. But I'm not going to twist your arm. I'm not going to twist your arm just like he didn't twist the arms of the, the people in the Jewish nation. I'm not going to twist your arm. But, but, but know this, I have grace upon grace upon grace to pour on you. If you'll just acknowledge it and come to me as your heavenly father with humility. Instead of allowing the evil one to use shame to keep us from all that grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the freedom that God has for us. If you, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, if you feel shame, and this, if this is the only thing you hear today, you are not hearing that from God. Just know that. If there, if there conviction, there's conviction, but if you feel shame, that is a message from the evil one, because God, he actually sent his son and sacrificed his son so that you wouldn't have to feel shame, so that you wouldn't have to be enslaved to sin, so that you wouldn't have to affect generation after generation after generation, but you could acknowledge it and have freedom and experience grace and mercy. That's why Jesus came. 
And the evil one, he knows that. And so he uses this tool of shame to hold us back from experiencing grace and mercy and freedom and forgiveness. So so whether you're 15 or 115, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, every single one of us is leaving a mark with our life. We're leaving a mark, just like our ancestors left a mark. Some of them we don't even know, but they've left a mark. They left a mark, and our lives are leaving a mark. And so the question is, like, what what type of mark do we want to leave? And and so let's let's just get real. And first, you got to really kind of answer that question. Like, what kind of mark do you want to leave? Like, do you want people to have to lie at your funeral? Do you and I want to, man, generations from now have people affected because our pride never allowed us to just say, this is what I struggle with and I need God. I'm guessing nobody wants that. And so here's the question, man, do do we have sin in our life that we haven't acknowledged and turned from? Like, is there something in your life, and I I asked myself the same question this week, like, is there something in your life that you have been managing instead of calling it what it is and turning from it? Is it? And maybe here's the bigger question. Is it worth your family? Is managing that instead of acknowledging it and turning from it worth the spiritual health of your family. And it's not a guarantee. And it's not like a one plus one equals two. Yeah, there's, there's some people that, man, they have grown up in craziness. And, you know, it's been tough, but they, God has shown grace and mercy. But there is example after example after example all throughout Scripture of parents and ancestors that just weren't willing to be obedient to God. They wouldn't deal with their stuff. And because of that, it affected generation after generation after generation. And here's the thing, today can be a day of freedom, a day where you experience grace, a day when the voice of shame loses its power, but it's up to us. It's up to us to acknowledge, just like the people of Nehemiah's day, acknowledge our sin and turn from it. And the scriptures promise us that when we acknowledge it, when we humble ourselves and acknowledge it, that grace floods our lives. When we don't, and we allow pride to hold us back, the scriptures tell us that God literally resists us. And I don't know about you, but I'm bad enough for myself. I don't need God resisting me too. And the beautiful thing is, he's waiting. He's waiting with grace and mercy and freedom and hope. He's waiting to change generations because of our decision to obey him, even when it's hard. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, as we close this morning, Maybe you're here, you're watching online, and you would say, yeah, Chris, I'm a follower of Jesus. 
There's been a time in my life where I have admitted my sin to God. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave for me. And I have, I have cho- uh, chosen to follow him. So, so if you're here, you're watching online and you would say, yeah, Chris, that's me. I've done that. Let me ask you the question that I asked just a few minutes earlier. Like, is, is there a sin in your life that you're holding on to? Maybe you found yourself trying to manage it, pretending it's not a big deal. Well, what if today you were freed? What if today you acknowledged and turned from it? What if today you stopped listening to the voice of shame and started listening to the voice of grace, the voice of Jesus? Anything come to your mind? Well, today you can take care of it. Wherever you're at, watching this online, whether you're here this morning, you can just, in your seat, you can just, man, just be honest with God. Acknowledge sin. Call it what it is. You're not going to offend God. He's not going to blush when you tell him what's going on in your life. Just tell him the truth. And then just after you acknowledge it, just turn. God, I am turning away. I'm turning away. I'm not turning away from it to nothing. I'm turning away from it to you and to your truth and your way. Here in a second, the band's going to play. and Maybe for you, you'd just like to, man, talk to somebody. Or you maybe even like to just come to the front and pray and just... Just tell God that. Yes, God, I'm today I'm turning away. And I'm turning to you. Matt's down front here. He would love to talk with you, to pray with you. So if God's working in your heart, man, make today the day that you stop listening to shame and you start listening to grace and freedom and mercy. Maybe you're here today or you're watching online and you'd say, Chris, I... I'm not really a follower of Jesus. I'm kind of skeptical of the whole Jesus thing over the years. Maybe you were hurt by the church. And for you, man, the, the first best step is to start that relationship with God. And it's that, that first step that when we do that, God says, man, he gives us his Holy Spirit to live within us. And he makes us new from the inside out. And so if you're here this morning or watching online and you say, man, today I want to start a relationship with Jesus, just in the quietness of wherever you're at between you and God, just tell God, God, I admit to you that I've sinned. I admit it. I acknowledge it. Then just tell him, God, I believe that Jesus came and died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sin. He took the payment. He took the punishment. And then just choose. God, today I choose you. I want a relationship with you. Come into my life and change me from the inside out. If you're here this morning or you're watching online and today you made a decision to follow Jesus. You made a decision to start a relationship with him. Man, we would love to know about that. You can tell us if you're watching online, there's a There's a decision card at citywalk.cc that you can fill out 
It'll tell us about the decision you made. If you're here with us this morning, you can just right in front of you, there's a decision card that you can fill out, that you can tell us about your decision. We would be so excited to hear about you starting a relationship with God. God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your long suffering, your patience, Lord. For hundreds and thousands of years, you have been patient and long suffering and gracious and merciful to us and to ancestors and ancestors and ancestors. And God, I pray that today we would say no to shame and yes to grace. In Jesus' name, amen.